gathered uh, for a most uh, happy and joyous, yet um, even sad and sorrowful occasion tonight. And I always say this, only a Christian can understand that. Only a Christian can understand the mixture of tears of, of sorrow and tears of joy, even though they look the same. There's, uh, there's always that mixture. Uh, what I want to do tonight is, uh, is by his grace, is just to um, have a look at the Savior. Let's look at Jesus. Let's look at the one who was pierced for us, that um, we might have all the blessings that flow uh, from his great sacrifice like no one else could ever make. Can we pray just for a moment? Heavenly Father, we are like those Greeks that wanted to see Jesus. And the apostles came to tell Jesus this, and he said, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. As much as he has been lifted up, we want to be drawn again. We have been drawn once uh, savingly, but we want to be refreshed and revived in our remembrance of Jesus Christ. That is all we want tonight is Jesus. Please, please give us Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, the theme tonight um, uh, will be uh, Jesus pierced. That's the word that came to my mind, uh, I think, out of heaven when I was asked to bring a message um, uh, by the elders at the last meeting. And um, I'm not talking about at all the modern notion that is so common of the ornamental or decorative piercings that, that, that take place. I'm, I, I don't have a dog in that fight. Um, I, I don't think it's one way or the other. It may lean to one other way, but, but perhaps not. I am, I am speaking, and the scriptures speak, of rather the fearful, painful, puncture wound, just that word, a puncture wound, either by an accident or by violence or by um, an intended instrument that may have not been altogether appropriate. And of all things, of all things that could be said about the Son of God, and all things that could ever be known about him, to know that he was pierced is a painful and troublesome uh, consideration. Uh, it it hurts even to think about it, and maybe sometimes we'd rather not think about it. But we should, we should, because these, this is what he did for us. This is what he was subject to. If it could have been done some other way, it would have been done another way. And always remember this, dear people, don't ever minimize or marginalize 
the physical sufferings of Christ, knowing that the wrath of God, the substitute for sinners, in that position was far worse. But never forget this. Please don't. If the scourging and the buffeting and the spitting and the plucking out of the beard and the nailing of his hands and feet and dying on a cross and being crowned with thorns, if those things were not necessary for our salvation, they would not have been done. Write that down in your heart and treasure the physical sufferings as well as the astronomical, mysterious, and incalculable sufferings of the wrath of God that we deserve for our eternal damnation that would have been ours. And for all the generations since the beginning of time where there have been saved sinners, he suffered for all of them and all the ones that are yet to come. But tonight, then, I'm going to, I, his piercing did not take place in, in a special shop or in a doctor's office or even in a car accident. His piercing took place in a place called Golgotha. Golgotha, which means place of a skull, a dying place. So I have a real simple outline then uh, that, that I, I think you will see is, comes right out of these texts. And don't feel like you must turn to them. Feel free to turn to them. But if you just want to listen, because they're, they're, they, they are familiar texts, if you just want to think about it and put Christ in the middle of every one of them, because that's where he is. I have a three-point outline. One, piercing was predicted. Number two, piercing was performed. And number three, piercing, I think, was preserved. A three-point on Piercing was predicted in Zechariah 12.10, where we read what God is saying to his people. He says, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace. And please for mercy, a spirit of grace and supplication, so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him, as one who mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him, as one who weeps for a firstborn. God says he's going to pour something out. It was a future prediction. I'm going to pour this out, and it will be on. It will be upon a special people. It will be upon the house of David. The true house of David is the one who truly received it. That is who you are. You are the Israel of God. You are the true Jew. You are the Jew that God always intended. You were not born a Jew. You were born again to become a Jew. That's who you are. All of you who know Christ, all of you who have interest in that Jew whose name is Jesus. And it was a spirit of grace. It was grace that was going to be poured out, and it was grace that issued in pleas for mercy. Grace, grace that wanted mercy and would get mercy because it cried out for mercy to a merciful God. These were the supplications. 
But while crying out, and perhaps before they cried out, they were going to see something. They were going to look upon something. Look upon someone who was pierced, who was punctured, who was nailed, and even perhaps who was stabbed. And when they looked upon him, their heart was going to break. And whether you do it with profuse tears, whether you cry, which is emblematic here, or whether you cry inside, we are all so very sorry, aren't we? Aren't you sorry to be a sinner? Aren't you so sorry of the price that has to be paid? Because we are such sinners that there's no other solution except there be someone who will be pierced for our transgressions. It's the only solution. But we weep because we are sinners. But we weep for the joy of one who was sinless, who would take our place. So this is the spirit that we have with us, even tonight, of the one who beholds him. And the one who looks at the one who was predicted to be pierced and receive him and embrace him afresh. And mercy, I'm telling every lost person here, mercy is all we're counting on. We're not counting on works. We're not counting on anything that we've done. Psalm 22 uh, may have been, it may have had a historical character. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to read parts of it to you. There may have been somebody else like this, but no Christian can read this and, and, and not feel and know in their heart this has got to be epitomized and in the ultimate person, even Jesus Christ. Psalm 22, verse 6 says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me, and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Verse 16 says, For dogs encompass me, and a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands. And my feet, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So, piercing was predicted. It was prophesied. Number two, piercing was performed. Piercing took place. In John chapter 19, and verses uh, 33 through uh, 37, we read these familiar words. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his leg. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once came out blood and water. He who saw this has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. 
these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look upon him whom they have pierced. What if you were there? What if you were there with the heart you have right now? What if you were standing there and you saw Christ at a distance on the cross? You, you saw one that was already pierced. His, his, his face was covered with blood, having been pierced by the thorns, driven into his scalp and into his forehead. His hands have already been pierced. He's been nailed to a cross. Imagine the pain of that. Can you imagine the spikes going through his feet? And imagine how much how the blood that was on the ground. He's dead. He gave up freely his own spirit. The crucifixion did not kill Christ. Know that. It could never have killed him. He could have come down from the cross. He could have done whatever he wanted. He had to die of his own will and purpose. And so when he said it was finished, he was able to command his own spirit and give it up. That's what he did. He's dead. And then you see a soldier knowing that he's dead. He's not breathing. The thieves on either side had their legs broken out of out of mercy, as I understand it, so that they would suffocate quickly, and the shock of it might might just drive the life right out of them. But this bleeding man who is already a soldier has to feels compelled to pick up a spear. And from this position below him, I don't know how deep he went, but he had to do this. This one final indignity. Wouldn't you want to say, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? He's already dead. Why do you have to stab my Savior? Why? What is wrong with you? If you didn't fear for your own life, and, and, and he might throw the spear at you. You just wonder, can't they just leave him alone? Why do they have to do one more thing, one more heartless, merciless, unfeeling, cruel thing? Well, we know. Because it was to fulfill the scripture, they will look upon him who they and that's what John says. It, it, it was prophesied like this, and it was performed. Spurgeon has this, this wonderful meditation on this. He says, the hill of comfort, the hill of your comfort, is the hill of Calvary. The house of consolation, the place where you live in comfort and when you are cons- where you are consoled, is built upon the wood of the cross. 
the temple of heavenly blessing is founded on the riven rock, riven by the spear which pierced his side. Hallelujah. What can you say but praise Christ? No scene in sacred history ever gladdens the soul like Calvary's tragedy. Wow, what a, what a, what, how counterintuitive everything that he said is. How it seems all contradictory. In another place, uh, a version says, no spring yields such sweet water as the well of God which was digged with a soldier's spear. Praise God. Isn't that right? That's right. Well, piercing was preserved then, too. I think it was. Uh, this is something that I can, that I can prove, okay? It, it's, it's just something that, that uh, upon contemplation, it seems entirely reasonable. Um, it seems right. Because what you have in John chapter 20 and verses 19 and and following, even skipping down to verses 24 through 26, um, where uh, Thomas uh, comes to the scene, we read that on the evening of the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be to you. What what words? The Prince of Peace has conquered. He can say there's peace, peace between you and me, peace between you and God, peace forever. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. This is the resurrected Christ. This is the Christ who died on the cross. This was the Christ who was surely dead, surely dead. If the Spirit did anything... It, it confirmed that he was really dead. I don't know whether it, it entered his heart under his rib because of the angle, but he, but he was surely dead. But he shows them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. Us. Uh, skipping down in this little scenario, uh, verse 24 says that Thomas, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples t- told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and the, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So you see, Thomas's expectation or Thomas's requirement was that the scars would have to be visible. They would have to remain. They would have to be such that I could touch them, that I could put my finger in them. Because the nails went all the way through his hands and the nails went all the way through his feet. And you can be sure the jab that he took on the side was 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 the head of the spear sunk in. That's what I have to assume. Eight days later, his his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood 
among them and said, Peace be with you. <laughs> I just love that. I love those words. Peace be with you. We can really have it. Then he said to Thomas, knowing that Thomas required this, Thomas had said nothing to him, but knowing all that was going on, he he's meeting Thomas. He's stooping down for Thomas. He's condescending to Thomas. As he condescends to save us, he's going to give Thomas what he wants. Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. This is the risen Savior with the marks, with the durable, preserved marks of his sufferings on him. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Here's the blessing for you, dear HBC family. Here's the blessing. Greater than Thomas's, okay? Greater than his. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Hallelujah. That's who we are. Praise God. That's who all of you are. More blessed than Thomas. Because you believe. We've come to declare that tonight again afresh with all of our hearts. Well, let me just give you uh, five quick applications then. Real quick. The first is this. Look, look what God has done. The greatest crime, the greatest abuse, the greatest atrocity, the greatest treachery. The greatest cruelty, the greatest absurdity that this should happen to Jesus Christ, the only blameless, holy, pure human being that has ever lived, the only, the only one who completely did always what was pleasing to his Father, the perfect one. Look what is done to him. And look at all the good that has come out of it. The greatest good, the greatest glory that could ever possibly come out of the greatest crime ever. No accumulation of crimes on not all the genocide, not all the cruelty that, that has been done to women and children, not all of them put together equal the crime of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And yet there is nothing that will glorify God more and bring us more good than this pierced Savior. Number two, this is the, what I'd like to do is just connect a little bit with, with Pastor Jonathan's message this morning. This is really um, the measure of God's love to us. Here's a quote from Sinclair Ferguson that I, that I think is just tremendous. He says, when we think of Christ dying on the cross, we are shown the lengths to which God love, God's love goes in order to win us back to himself. Listen to this next sentence very carefully. It blows me away. We would almost think, by looking at the cross, by looking at the one who's been pierced, we would almost think that God loved us more and he loves his son. For a second, for a few seconds, you might think that. I might think that. 
He is treating his son like he will never treat me. He is treating him worse than anybody that he ever saved. And even the martyrs, as much as they have suffered, they suffered supported. They suffered with grace. They suffered with God's kindness and smile and power upon them. I can't wait to get to heaven for a a thousand reasons, but I I want to talk to a martyr and find out how it went and, and, and what revelations they had of God and Christ when they knew they were going to die or when they were dying or just before they died. Stephen had something like that. I'm not going to argue it just from one case, but 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 look at this. We almost think that God loved us more than he loves his son. We cannot measure his love by any other standard. He is saying to us, I love you this much. Don't ever doubt. That's, that's what it is. No matter how you feel, Christ has died. No matter how much you apprehend it, if you have believed it, it, it's yours. It's yours by faith. Not how you feel, but if you believe it, it's yours. It's entirely yours. The cross is the heart of the gospel. Sinclair Ferguson says it makes the gospel good news. Christ died for us. He has stood in our place before God's judgment seat. He has borne our sins. He has done something on the cross which we could never do for ourselves. But God does something to us as well as for us through the cross. He persuades us that he loves us. you got to know that tonight. Let's think about that tonight when we're around the table. Number three, then, uh, very quickly, uh, let me say this. All the misery, dear people. All the misery, whether you're saved or lost, all the misery, all the unhappiness and depression and unresolved conflicts, all of this comes from living without the cross. Or in the case of a Christian, it it comes from living at too great a distance from the cross. Because if you live near the cross, if you'll sit at the bottom of the cross, if you'll embrace the cross, You'll have joy and gladness in your heart. You'll flee from sin. There's no room for sin at the foot of the cross. And all the misery that is in the world, all the unhappiness that's in the world, is because people do not embrace the cross. Number four. Those bleeding wounds. I'm going to go with Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley wrote... This um, wonderful hymn that we all love so much. He says, uh, five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly speak for me. He believed that the wounds were permanent. He believed that the wounds are in heaven right now. He believed. I believe it too. I I believe that when I see my Savior, I'm going to see a pierced Savior, glorious, glorious wounds, glorious marks across his forehead, glorious in his hands and in his feet, glorious. He says, they strongly speak for me, they strongly plead for me, forgive him, oh, forgive they cry, nor let that ransomed sinner die. Praise God. 
I wonder, I wonder, I couldn't prove this, but I wonder if when Christ uh, was saying goodbye to his disciples and, and he, was, uh, he, was, he was coming up off the ground and he was ascending back in, into heaven, I wonder if when he got there, I just wonder, I wonder if the first time he came into God's special presence in, in that special place in the Holy of Holies of heaven, if he didn't hold out his hand, if he didn't hold out a foot, say, my father, I have done all of your will. Reward me, please, with all the people mine. And his father said, sit down my right hand, and, and you'll rule the nations. You'll have a people from every tribe, trunk, tongue, and nation. Every people group under heaven are, are yours. The five bleeding wounds that Charles Wesley talks about, he took them right to his father. In into the real holy of holies, the real holy place, the real place where the offering needed to be taken, not on the horns of any earthly altar. Well, he is our great intercessor then, our, our assurance, our, our, our confidence. We affirm that tonight. Number five then, last one, okay? What, what are we saying? What are we saying to each other? What are we saying to all that gather around the perimeter, the, the circumference of, of, of the fellowship hall? Are we saying that we are better than other people? Are we saying that we're better than you because you don't sit at the table? That's not what we're saying. We're not saying that at all. Don't ever hear that. Hear what we're saying. We're saying we're just like you. And the only difference in our lives is Jesus Christ. And our only hope is Christ. That's all it is. That, that's what we're saying. We're saying you're welcome. You're welcome to the family. Believe upon Christ and turn from your sins. Take what we are trusting in. Take it. Take the one that was pierced. Don't make any other decision. Don't, don't harden your heart. Don't resist. If you feel something now, go ahead and take him. Take him now. Pray to him now. Say, I want, I got to have him. Get that in you. I got to have Jesus. I want him. He's all I need. He's the only hope. He's the only substitute. He's the only one that can pay for our sins. Take him. Take him, he's freely offered in the gospel. When you see us, when you see us partaking of, of, of this bread, we're saying Christ is all we want, it's all we have, it's all we need. And, and when we drink that fruit of the vine, we're saying his piercing, his blood, that flow of blood is what cleanses us. And, and, and all of us, we're going to proclaim this till he comes. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray one more time that you'll help us uh, to see Jesus in, in, in all that we do 
in, in this other room. Go with us, Holy Spirit. Increase the faith of all of your people. Increase our commitment to holiness. Increase our dying to ourselves and living for Christ, the one who lived and died for us. Help us then. Help us as we pray in the name of our high priest, that wounded one at your right hand. We give our hearts to him. We pray in his name, even Jesus' name. Amen.